Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Thank you. He fell 60 feet off of a rope, and when he hit the ground, it crushed both of his ankles, effectively breaking both of his legs to where he could not use him anymore. And he would tell you that it was all part of God's plan, because after his ankles were broken, he was in bed in excruciating pain shortly after he was able to uh, move a little bit. His sister was in a head-on collision from a drunk driver. His parents were gone, so he had to go and take care of his sister. And he finally threw up his hands and said, okay, Lord, I'm listening. I'm talking about my friend. I apologize about that ring there. It's, uh, it's giving us trouble today, and I don't know why. So he heard God's voice at an early age. In fact, my friend Kenny was um, in high school uh, uh, an evangelist. He shared the gospel with over a thousand people at his school. He he used to to put a mark every time he shared the gospel somehow, and he never never saw any real fruit from it. He never saw people turn to Christ, and he never never really um, uh, felt like he did much. And so he decided he would do the only thing that that someone called by God would actually do, and that was he joined the army. Seriously, he decided that God really wasn't working out so well, and so he, uh, he joined the army and got into a, a, a rebellious lifestyle, never in any type of uh, alcohol and drugs and such, but he was simply running because of the, um, he, he was running into what he thought was just, do y'all hear that? That's driving me nuts. Turn it off and talk louder. Huh? Talk about ruining a good introduction, huh? Maybe it wasn't all that good after all. Who knows? All right, is that better? All right. My goodness. The nemesis there. So he, um, he didn't go into a, a, a bad lifestyle so much as that he was just running from God. And the reason he fell was because he was trying to race up a a rope when it was raining a little bit, and he got past 60 feet, and his hands couldn't hold anymore, and he started sliding down the rope. And he slid down so fast that it, it burned his skin and cauterized it all at the same time, hitting the ground, crushing his ankles. And you know, for as long as I knew him, he had a limp, and he, he was in so much pain at times that, that he actually asked the doctor, just cut him off, give me something metal, and let's be done with it. The doctor wouldn't cut him off. But he would tell you that that was a turning point when he finally was able to look up because he couldn't go anywhere anymore. He looked up and he said, okay, God, I've heard your call. I've run from your call. I'm not gonna, I can't run any longer. And so what I want to tell you today is this. It is not above or beyond the love of God to break your leg 
if you don't listen to him. And it's not because he wants to be angry, and it's not because he wants to be harsh, and it's not because he wants to cause you pain. He doesn't want any of those things. What he wants is you to be in the relationship with him that he's designed you for. And as I'm, as I'm processing this this week, I'm thinking, you know, does God do that with everybody? And I, I don't necessarily think he does. But, I was, but what came back to mind was the passage when Jesus said, to whom much is given... Much is required. I think that God will let some people just run as far as, and as long as they want. But if you've heard God's voice and you know what he said, and then you willingly turn around and go the other way, we have plenty of evidence in Scripture that says, watch out because God may break your leg. Remember the guy named Jonah? It wasn't a leg, but it sure was a, a bumpy ride, Right? In the scripture, Jonah ran from God. He clearly heard God's voice, and God said to him, okay, you can run, but you can't outrun the long reach of me. Moses tried to run, didn't he? Couldn't, couldn't uh, run from God. Open in your Bible to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. Jacob tried to run. He didn't just try to run. Jacob ran, and... Jacob's running was the result of the character of who he was. But God had another plan. So Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 22. Genesis 32:22. It's nice and neat, isn't it? Genesis 32:22. Here's what the scripture says. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, two, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So we have a story that's undoubtedly familiar to most of us in the room, but i got to be honest with you. This week, I saw some things that I've never seen before, not because they weren't ever there, but I just, I, you know how you can read a passage over and over and over, and then one time you read it and you go, wow. And I really think it's because sometimes it's, it's the right time to see what it has to say. I think sometimes that if you see it at a, at a point it where, if you see the point where you don't really need it, you kind of miss it. But then, then God at it, it certain points says, okay, this is what I want you to see here. So in Genesis chapter 32, we have Jacob. 
Now, let me take you back and remind you who Jacob was. I know you know this, but let me just remind us so that we have it fresh in our minds. Jacob was one of the patriarchs. There are four main characters in the book of Genesis. Who are they? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? So they were, they were the, the, the patriarchs, and out of, out of these four, you would eventually have King David, and then you would eventually have Jesus. So, so there was a purpose. There was a, there was a need for this, this bloodline to continue. And so because Jacob was uh, Isaac's son, Jacob was, was going to carry the seed that would eventually lead to King David and then eventually lead to Jesus. So God had his heart or God had, his, God had a purpose for Jacob. Now, Jacob's story was rather sketchy, wasn't it? Before he was born, he was, one of a, he was a twin. Before he was born, there was some wrestling inside of the womb, right? And the mother gave birth to Jacob after he, she gave birth to who? To Esau. So you have two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And the word Jacob, the name Jacob, was given because of the condition that happened at birth. Jacob was grasping at the heel of his brother Esau. So think about this. There was a wrestling in the womb. There was a grasping at the heel. And Esau was born. And then Jacob was born. This is a picture of Jacob's life. It never ceases to amaze me how you can look at somebody's life and, and take their name and oftentimes match them up with who they are. Now, in Old Testament times, in biblical times, they named somebody based on not only what God said, but based on, on who they were. And so their name matched their, their person. I actually think God still does that even when we don't realize it sometimes. But, but Jacob means the heel catcher, or you could also say the what? The deceiver. And so from birth... Jacob was a deceiver. From birth, Jacob was one who wrestled. And so Jacob's strength was his own strength. If you'll remember the story, Jacob and Esau, they were, they were at a point in their life where they were, uh, uh, their father was older and, and he was unable to see as well. And, and, and as, as the two of them were trying to position and decide, you know, figure out life, I guess they were teenagers or, or late teenagers. And Jacob, because he was convinced by his mother to do so, decided he would swindle his brother out of his birthright. And so you remember the story, right? He devised this plan to, to swindle his brother. His brother came in and uh, was hungry. And Jacob said, I, I tell you what, I'll make you some food what it's going to cost you. I don't care what's it going to cost me. It'll cost you your birthright. Okay, fine. I'd rather, I'd rather not die today and give you my birthright. So there was an exchange between Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob went before the father and swindled the father as well. So you have this, you have this pattern of deception, this pattern of grasping at the heel, this pattern of wrestling. And don't forget this. Jacob got what Jacob got because he was crafty, and, and able to, to manipulate people, and he was strong, right? Esau discovered what happened, and so Esau was angry. In fact, Esau decided he was going to kill his brother, and so his brother wisely said, you know what? I'm going to get out of Dodge, and so he left, and when he left, he found a woman at a well. Her name was Rachel, and she was ooh-la-la la, beautiful. She was so good-looking that he literally 
worked seven years in order to marry her. You remember the story. Again, I'm rushing through the story, but if you go back, she needed a stone moved. He moved the stone, helped water a flock. She went back and told the father, and he was, he was smitten. He was hooked. He made a deal with the father, Laban. He said, look, I want your daughter, Rachel. She's, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. If you'll let me marry her, then, then I, I'll, what, what do you need in, in exchange? He goes, tell you what, work seven years for me. And after seven years, I'll give her to you in marriage. So he does. He works seven years. It's the wedding day. They walk down the aisle. She's got a veil over her face. And they're going through the ceremony. And he doesn't once think to lift the veil until after. I'm being silly there. But it wasn't until the wedding day that he realized, hey, this isn't Rachel. This is Leah. What happened? The father swindled the swindler. And so he was rightfully angry. And within the next seven days, the father, Laban, said to Jacob, tell you what, I had to give you my oldest daughter. It's customary. But if you'll work for me another seven years, I'll give you Rachel as well. So he agreed. Now, first off, he should have been smarter than to marry two sisters in the same week. <laughs> that, on the positive side, he'd have only one mother-in-law from both sisters, which that, you know, may... And there's so much going on in the story. Could you imagine being Leah? Could you imagine? Now, look, there are some people who will look at, at the Scripture and say, how unfair of God. God is an unfair God. Look what God condoned. God didn't condone it. This was the actions of men that were doing this. They weren't acting holy. But God used it, and in the midst of the unholiness, God said and taught and moved as he wanted to. So you have Jacob who swindled his family. He runs away and then is swindled by Laban. He winds up with two sisters who become his wives, and then he works for seven more years. So what does Jacob do? He says, I'll teach him. So he begins to swindle his father-in-law. You see a pattern here. Here's what he did. He said, tell you what, Laban, I'll make you a deal. When I'll keep the flocks, but let's divide the flocks. And so he would divide the flocks by giving himself the best ones and giving Laban the not-so-good ones. And then eventually he had a much greater, healthier flock. And when Laban discovered what was going on, Laban said, I'm going to kill you, and chased him out of the land. Now this is 20 years or so, 30 years, I don't know. It's a long time of a life of wrestling with men. His entire life is spent on the run. And the picture that the Bible has given us is of a man who is constantly in his own strength seeking to find purpose and seeking to find blessing. Because think about it. The blessing is always given because he overpowers the other person, either mentally or physically. And it's a constant struggle of how strong can I be and, and, and what he wasn't wanting. But now think of this. He had already been promised a blessing from God. He was the son of Abraham. Well, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, right? So the promise was already there, but he was trying to get the promise. He was trying to get the blessing on his own strength, on his own terms, and on his own accord. And I'm afraid this is where so many of us find ourselves. We find ourselves 
wanting and pursuing whatever it is we want or pursue in life, but we do it based on our own brute strength, our own intelligence, our own, our own desire, and we keep running, but it seems like we go three steps forward and two steps back, or two steps forward and three steps back. Jacob, in chapter 32, and starting in verse 22, found himself on the run. He ran from his brother. Then he's now running from his father-in-law. Now, just before this point, if you look in a previous chapter, he comes to a truce with his father-in-law. His father-in-law and him say, look, we can't be doing this the rest of our life. Let's make a deal. Let's draw a boundary. I'll stay over there. You stay over there. And I promise that I'll take care of your daughters, but you have to promise that you're going to leave us alone. So they come to this, to this truce, and they are at a place that they need to cross the river. Here's why this is important. What's on the other side of the river? The promised land. This is as far as they could go until they step foot into the promised land. And it's at this point where God says, enough is enough. I am going to deal with you in the way that I need to deal with you so that you can finally step into your blessing, not because you earned it or deserved it or made it happen, but because I, God, have established this to be so. And so in chapter 32, verse 22, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. They crossed over a narrow piece. It's about 15 miles or so, I guess, from the Dead Sea to the north of it. They crossed over, and then Jacob went back, and he was by himself. Now, we don't know why he did this. Some would say that he was simply putting his family out front so that they would uh, either soften Esau And Esau would see his family and his possessions and say, you know what, I'm just going to let go of the grudge. Some say that it was part of his swindling ways, that he basically was saying, look, he'll have to get through my whole family and that'll give me a time to escape. You kind of hate to think that that was the case, but look at his character. Look at who he was. Maybe that's the case. And then some say that it was just a a way of, of, of him putting them in front and then coming back just to... For some other reason that we don't even know. But regardless, he puts them across the Jabbok and he comes back and he spends the night. And that is where he finds this man. By the way, if you look in the Hebrew, there's, there's, uh, there's similar words that are used. And it, it, it wouldn't make sense to tell you all because we're not Hebrew scholars. But essentially, just know this, that the Hebrew reader is going to read this and they're going to see slight variations of... Ju- ju- uh, Jacob and um, Jabbok. And so, so there, there's, in their minds, there's going to be this shift, and they're going to say, wow, that's, it's a liter- literary device to essentially say that a change is going on in this place. And the reason for that is there is a change going on, and the change is by God, not by Jacob and not by man. Here's what happens. Verse 23, after he sent them across the stream and sent over his possessions, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, it says a man. Who is the man? What was the man like? We don't know any of these things, right? Now, this is traditionally said to be an angel. And I think that's probably what it was because of the rest of the story. 
But it was, it was an angel in the form of a man. Now, we know that the scripture tells us that we've got to be careful to offer hospitality because we never know when we're what? Entertaining angels, right? So we know that this, this happens. We know that when um, uh, at Sodom and Gomorrah, there were, there were, there were men who came and they were, they were angels, right? They were, they were servants of the Lord who came. And, and so it's not, uh, it's not something that God would not do. God has done this and he, he continues to do it. I even think today, um, i tell you this one, and I, again, do you believe me or not? I'm just telling you the story as it's been told to me. Um, we were traveling from California back to Pensacola. I was a kid, and so that was in the days where you rode in the back window, you know, those good old days. We were going from California to Pensacola, and we were in a stretch probably somewhere in Arizona that was 100 miles or so, and there's, there was nothing. Now, this is back in the 80s, and so... Is it still nothing? Maybe there's a little more of something, but it was really nothing back then. It was just a long, lonely road. And I remember, or, 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 or as, as the story's told, there is, there is a gas with our fam, a car with our family in, and the gas gauge is on empty, and there's nothing anywhere, like zero chance that we're going to get anywhere. And we go over a hill or go around a bend, and there's a gas station in the middle of nowhere. And so we, you know, Lord, thank you. Wow, this is, this is great. Just in the nick of time, we pull in, get gas, and then go on our way. Well, driving back, the gas station's not there. And every other time we, we drove that trip, we looked, and the gas station was never there. Now, again, I was asleep in the window, and I don't remember this, but that's the story told. And is it not possible that God can do stuff like that? You know, it's... There, there's, well, I'm, I'm digressing. I just love great stories. But you hear stories all the time. Um, actually, I'll tell you one of our own. See, I'm back and forth. Lori uh, Bentley, if I'm not mistaken, somebody held her in the car when she had a wreck. And they have no idea who it was. Nobody can identify the person. Nobody remembers. But somebody helped her when she had a wreck a year or so ago. You remember that? Does God do these things? He sure does. Can we explain them? No, we can't, other than he's a good God and he loves us. So, there's a man, and the man comes to fight with Jacob. Now, here's what we need to see here. Who instigates the fight? The man does. Jacob isn't the one who starts fighting. It's the man who starts fighting, which tells us what? God sent the man to fight Jacob. It's almost as if God said, all right, enough is enough. I'm going to settle this once and for all. He sends this man, and this man is wrestling with Jacob, and we know that they wrestled all night long because it says that it's daybreak. It's time for me to go. And they match themselves muscle for muscle, wit for wit. And so could you imagine wrestling with a, with a man that was, that was your equal physically, and it was a... It was a constant grudge match the whole night. Could you imagine doing that? You know how tired your body would be. You'd be completely exhausted. You'd be completely spent. If you've ever done any wrestling whatsoever, you know that that's, the, that's way harder than just about any other kind of fighting because you're constantly tensing your muscles. You're, you're using every fiber of your body. And as they wrestled all night long, they got to the point where there was, there was a, a, it was equal. It was man for man. And then the man 
touched Jacob's hip. There's a tendon that connects to the socket. He touched the socket. Now, through the Hebrew, it, Hebrew, it could be one of two different things. He could either have touched it or he could have had a strike. But the result was the same. The result was a, essentially a broken leg. And so at this point, Jacob is outmatched. He's simply holding on to the man, and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now think of this. What is Jacob's pattern? He forces the blessing. He makes his way. He causes things to happen. He swindles, and he, he deceives. He grasps at the heel. And the man says to Jacob, what is your name? What is God doing here? God is helping Jacob to understand who he really is so Jacob could become who he really is. Jacob is the father the, in the line of King David and King Jesus. He didn't need to earn that. He already had that. He was trying to make it happen, and God was saying, as long as you keep striving, you're never going to find what it is that I've purposed for you and planned for you. Until you realize that you cannot match me, I cannot really bless you. Until, until you stop forcing the blessings on yourself, I cannot truly give you the blessings that I've planned since before you were born. We know that God plans these things and knows us before we're born, right? So there's this wrestling match. Jacob's leg is hit, and the man says, who are you? And out of his mouth, he has to confess who he is. I am Jacob. What was he saying? I am a deceiver. I am a wrestler. I am a heel grasper. And I would have to believe that in that moment, his entire life must have flashed before him. His entire life of swindling and making deals and backroom, backroom decisions, his, his whole life must have flashed before him as he recognizes there's something bigger going on here and I can't win. Why do you think God sent a man? Why didn't he send an angel? Why didn't God himself show up? This is what I saw that I've never seen before. God sent a man because he was meeting Jacob on his own terms. I don't think Jacob would have wrestled an angel if he would have seen him. I think he was too smart for that. I don't think Jacob would have wrestled with God. I think he was way too smart for that. But with a man, he was going to wrestle with a man. And it wasn't until the midst of the wrestling that God reveals himself. It's as if God says, look, your human strength can match anybody. You are gifted. You are able. You are capable. You can go head to head, toe to toe with anybody on this earth. But you cannot in your strength go toe to toe with me. Let that sink in a moment. You, you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody, but you cannot go toe-to-toe -to -toe with God. And I think that God allowed that wrestling to happen so that he could get to that point. I don't think God could have 
taught that. I, I, that sounds terrible. I know God could do whatever he wants. But I don't think Jacob would have heard it if it was just God confronting him face to face. There had to be this progression of man to man. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't just a man. This is somebody who's able to strike me in a way. Jacob had to have known that there was something supernatural that went on there. And so when the man said, who are you? His response was, I am the deceiver. I am the heel catcher. And the man said, yes, you are. But no longer will you be. And he renamed him. He said, from now on, your name is what? Israel. What does that mean? Face with God. It could also mean God fights. Think about this. He got a name that reminded him of both his past and his future. His name meant God has fought with me. And God has beat me. Because God is going to fight for me. God cannot fight for you until you stop fighting for you. I'm not insinuating that we're just to sit back and do nothing. I'm saying that our dependence and our hope has to be on God, not on our own wisdom and our own intelligence and our own strength. Have you ever seen the impossible happen simply because you stopped trying to make it happen and you turned it completely into the Lord's hands? One of the best pictures of prayer I think I've ever uh, seen is when Jesus com committed his first committed. He, he, he uh, engaged in his first miracle. You remember the story? It was the wedding at Cana. Jesus wasn't even looking to do a miracle, but his mother came. And when your mother comes, you, you ought to listen, right? His mother comes over and, and she says simply, Jesus, listen, we got a problem. We're out of wine. All the guests are getting anxious. We got nothing left except for a bunch of dirty water and some clay pots. So I'm telling you the problem. Then she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says to do. I never saw that as prayer until I listened to Max Lucado several years ago. And he said, look, she just gave us the pattern of prayer in its most simple, basic form. We come to God and we say, God, this is the issue. This is the problem. It's in your hands. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, I, this, this is the issue with my family. I, I, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Lord, this is, you, this is the issue with my finances. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Lord, this is the issue with my job, or this is the issue with my marriage, or this is the issue with my, 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 uh, my house, whatever. Lord, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I was in a conversation with somebody this week, and they, they were asking me questions, and, and what, would I do this, or would I do that, or would I be willing to do this, or that, and... And I said, look, my, my yes to God is already on the table. I, I'm not coming to God with a list of requirements of what I will and won't do. My only answer to God is yes. If you want me to do this, my answer is yes. I said, my life is not my own. Because it's not. Your life is not your own. Uh, unless it is. Jacob's life was his own until he wrestled with God. So as we look at this passage, here's what I want to say to you, church. 
Jacob had a blessing from God coming. You could say it this way. It was his destiny. God, before the foundations of the earth were laid in place, had purposed in his heart for Jacob to be in the line of Jesus, the deliverer. It was God's purpose for him. Jacob did everything he could to mess that up. And God said, no, for I know the plans that I have for you. But the only way for Jacob to get onto God's page was for God to break his leg. Some would say, oh, that's, that's terribly unfair. I would say that's terribly loving. Terribly, terribly loving. You know, when I, when I started this, preparing for this message, I initially was, was looking at Psalm 23. Because I had always read and, and understood that, that God would break, or that a shepherd would break a lamb's leg and then put him on his shoulders and carry him around. But the more I researched that, the more I realized that that, that may not actually be fact, that it, it might just be a, a tale that has been told. And so I don't know the truth of that. It sounds good. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You've ever heard that before? It sounds really good. We just don't know if that's what shepherds actually did. I, I couldn't verify it. But here's the verse that, that, that brought this whole thing on. Chapter 23 of Psalm, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. The second part of that, right? He makes me lie down in greed pastures. What does he do before that? He leads me beside still waters. Do you know sheep are incredibly obstinate? And sheep won't lie down. The shepherd has to make them. It is not above God's kindness and goodness and mercy and love for him to make you lie down. Usually the thing that gets us is something physical. For my friend Kenny, it was broken ankles. For you, it might be something different. For me, maybe it's my glasses. I don't know. I just now can't see you. But here's what happened. The Bible says the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. Why do you think so? It reminded him of wrestling with man and wrestling with God. I suspect every morning when he got up, as he had to stretch out his leg, he remembered what God did to finally be able to bless him. Kenny, for many, many years, constant pain. But in the goodness of God, God actually healed his pain, and he's, he's been completely pain-free for about 10 years now. Apparently, he learned his lesson. <laughs> and now the memory of what God did is simply, a rem, it, he's reminded by him actually being healed rather than constantly being, being in pain. So here's my question to you. Does God need to break your leg in order for you to do what it is he's called you to do? 
And it really, actually, I take that back. It's not about you doing what he wants you to do. It's about you being who he's called you to be. Let's not confuse that. God doesn't have a task that he needs from you beyond the person and the character that he's called you to have. See, the name change was not about a task. The name change was about character. He had a character change. That's why the name change. What he did was a result of the character change. God's not going to just do something in you to get you to do something. He's going to do something in you so that you'll recognize who you are. Then you can do what you do. You've heard it said, and I've said it, and, and, and I'll say it again. God's much more interested in making a man than he is making a ministry. And I'm convinced that many people are hindered in ministry because they're not enough of a man. I say man, man, woman. God, God wants you to be a person of character and integrity and truth and honor and, and trusting and, and love and kindness and all these things. And until we get, until God is able to do that in us, he can still use us and still will, but he's not probably gonna use us the way he desires or could. So what is it that God is doing in you even now? Now you might look at me and go, oh, I don't have... I don't have a great ministry ahead of me. I might have five years left. I might have 10 years left. I might have, have two years left. And we don't know, right? But let me tell you something. Let me remind you something. If you are breathing right now, God still has a purpose for you. If your heart is beating today, that means God has a purpose for you. And remember, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Is there something that you need to confess to God and, and give to him that you've been holding for 30 or 40 or 50 years? Is there a grudge that you need to get rid of? Is there, is there some secret sin somewhere? Is there some, some uh, resistance or, or anything that is between you and God and you know God's been dealing with you and you simply won't deal with it? Maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's pride. Is any of that worth holding on to compared to the goodness that comes from just being laid bare before God? Can we pray together? Father in heaven, you are a good and gracious God. You love us beyond compare. Lord, your word is so, so good because it shows, us the, it shows us the depth of brokenness in the human heart. Lord, your word teaches us how you, how you love your people. Lord, your word shows us how you move and how you act. Father, may we hear today exactly what you want us to hear. Father, may we be transformed by who you are. Father, I know in this room there are testimonies of men and women who have been touched by you. So many in this room, Lord, you've broken a leg and you've changed a name. But Lord, if there's any of us who need, need something else, if we need to do something else or, 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 or something that, that we need to deal with in our own life, God, I pray that even now you bring conviction and courage in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? What song are we singing today? 300. Without him. 300. <laughs> We're going to sing it with him, though. <laughs>
Without him I'd surely fail. Without him I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know him today? Do not turn him away, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, without him, how lost I will be. God's people said? Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. I'm so grateful to see you. You know, it's, uh, it's coming into summertime, and there's lots and lots and lots of reasons to stay away from meeting together. But there's never a good reason to just stay away from meeting together. You know, uh, we, we travel and we got all kinds of stuff, but, but uh, don't, ever, don't ever think that being together is unimportant. It may not be that God has brought you here today for you. Maybe God brought you here today for someone else. Maybe it's a word that you say, or maybe it's a, it's a look or just a question. You know, God has a way, and I'll never, I'll never cease to be amazed at how God can do in a hundred people something totally different all at the same time. That is the, that is the power and the sovereignty of God. It's amazing, and I'm constantly in wonder at it. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness and all that you do. As we step away now for Bible study, I want you to remember that the Lord is with you. He walks with you, and he loves you, and he leads you. Don't make, don't make him have to wrestle you. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, you're good. You're a good, good God. In your goodness, we celebrate the chance to be together as your church. God, we celebrate the chance to, to worship, the chance to sing, the chance to pray. Lord, I pray that this day you would encourage us. And Lord, it seems as though we're so often walking day to day, and, and there's so many things in the world that, that we could be worried about. But Lord, you have overcome all of those things. And Father, you've promised that you'll never leave us or forsake us because we trust in you. So God, I pray this today, and I pray that you would remind us tomorrow of who exactly you are. We ask this in Jesus' precious name.